Stanford University. You're listening to a podcast from Stanford University's Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. I'm Diantha Parker. This week on the podcast, why people give their money away during a recession and who they give it to. Robert Reich is a political scientist at Stanford who studies charitable giving. Along with colleagues at Stanford's Collaboration for Poverty Research, he found that as the recession hit and people had less money, one of the things most Americans cut back on was their giving to charity. He says he expected that. But there was a surprising finding that uh, giving to a particular category of charitable recipients, religion, congregations, synagogues, mosques, um, uh, churches in general, um, that category of giving held up in the economic downturn. And even some data indicates that it might have um, um, increased by a very, very small amount. Reich thinks one reason giving to religion stayed constant is that people saw giving to their congregations as a way of responding to hardship they saw, maybe for the first time, in their own communities. Another possibility uh, is that whereas most people think of charitable giving as something, strictly speaking, voluntary, they do it when they have surplus cash in order to respond to some um, desire or value or need that they see around them. People typically don't think of giving to their church in that same way as a voluntary thing. They, they, they experience that more as an obligation of their um, religious convictions. But Reich also found that people did feel another kind of obligation, one that was more secular and in some ways not about money. We had seen scattered reports, um, usually just in you know two-paragraph articles in newspapers, that said that food banks um, were receiving very significant um, influxes of, of both you know sort of non-perishable foods as well as volunteering and donations. And we thought, well, now there's an example of people obviously choosing a vehicle for meeting the basic needs of people, people who need food on the table in order to get by that um, we might try and figure out if there was a way to collect broader data on it because you, um, none of the data, the data that we accessed broke out charitable giving to something as specific as a food bank. So Reich and his colleagues canvassed food banks in and around cities across the country. They found that giving to food banks had gone up, which seemed like a bright spot in a time when, technically, people had less for themselves. So that was good news for some religious organizations and food banks. But Reich found that other nonprofits, many of them also charitable organizations, did not fare as well. These places rely on private gifts, often in small amounts. There's that uh, really unhappy, mutually reinforcing loop of when the budgets of nonprofits get slashed. Not only do the people who the nonprofit serves not receive as many services, but even sometimes the employees of the nonprofit have to be let go, which just reinforces the cycle of need once again. There is data collected um, um, about this of giving to organizations which are called public society benefit and social service organizations. Many of those um, would be the organizations we'd expect to be providing for the basic needs of fellow citizens. And the giving to that category dropped quite considerably. Reich says this drop in charitable giving is consistent with previous recessions. The surprise this time around is the steadiness of religious giving. But Reich says another way to think about charitable giving during an economic downturn is to see if people give the same percentage of their income away, even as the actual amount of money they earn goes up and down. And in fact, that is what we did that did find. So in that respect, that's a you know at least a 
a slightly more cheerful finding is that while the absolute amount of money given has gone down and gone down considerably in, in many cases, as a percentage of income, it looks like there's roughly speaking um, a constant um, um, over time. So that as Americans have more money, um, there's a kind of basic a percentage in mind, um, one or two or three percent um, that people give away every year. And as people have more money, they'll keep that percentage and that will generate more charitable dollars over the course of time. After the recession hit, Reich also found that people began donating slightly more of something else. Volunteering went up. So when people had a smaller pocketbook, we also saw the effect of people giving away their labor, their time more frequently. So volunteering um, is a potentially cheerful um, story here. Reich is quick to add that we don't have good data on where people volunteered their time, or how much of the volunteering was a more self-interested way for people out of a job to keep themselves in the workforce somehow. But he says even if that's the case, it's still possible people were also responding to the greater need they saw around them. Reich also thinks the shift could be more broadly cultural. Think about the odd oxymoron mandatory volunteering, which sometimes takes place in high schools. You know, you're required to volunteer a certain number of hours in order to graduate. This happens on college campuses now, too. So one possibility is that this has, as this has begun as a kind of um, movement within education, um, people have internalized something about the importance or significance of volunteering and continue doing it as they get older and out of school. There's another facet of charitable giving that Americans have internalized, tax incentives. We can write off many gifts to the Salvation Army, for example. Reich and his colleagues point to the current talk in Washington about reducing or even eliminating some of these tax incentives to give money away. If that happens, he says, religious organizations and food banks wouldn't feel the pinch so much. Reich says these tax breaks are really for people who think of charitable giving in terms of a new wing for a building maybe named after them. Much, much wealthier people who tend to champion other kinds of causes, say giving to cultural institutions like um, museums or music halls, or giving to universities, for instance, in very large sums. Um, that form of giving apparently is sensitive to the incentive to give money away. And if there were some tinkering done with that incentive in order to generate more money for the government to reduce the deficit, um, universities and cultural institutions could expect, um, I think, a diminished flow of charitable dollars. Reich says Americans rely pretty heavily on charity to support big cultural institutions as well as organizations that benefit the needy. He says outside the U.S., more support for those entities comes from the state. So an economic downturn here in the U.S. does mean harder times for people who are really struggling. Reich says tax policy might consider this. He says one curious thing about the American tax policy system is that right now it doesn't consider where you give. So whether you give to a museum, um, a hospital, a university, a soup kitchen, a human rights organization, a think tank, I mean, anything that's a nonprofit, the same incentive is in place for you to give money away to it. So one possibility, something also considered in some of these tax reform proposals, is to create a differentiated incentive structure where you might give the greatest incentive, tax incentive that is, um, to give money away to organizations which fill the serve the basic needs of citizens, um, soup kitchens, shelters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Reich says it's not clear how the tax incentive talks will pan out. Even if the incentives to give change, most charitable organizations will start to feel relief only after the rest of the country does.
You've been listening to a podcast from Stanford's Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. Our funding comes from the Elfenworks Foundation. Our music is by Pharos. The editor of this podcast series is Christopher Weimer, and I'm Diantha Parker. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next time. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.